this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. I chose this film because I have always been yearning for a movie like this. Mm. There are so many documentaries about Palestine. There are so many documentaries about, and books mostly, not really a lot of film about um, what happened to like, you know, everyday people Mm -hmm. who were living in Palestine, minding their business on their own land. Um, where the colonial project began. Um, And what I like about this movie is it shows you the ways that the formation of the state of Israel um, had repercussions, you know, over entire family lineages. So you Mm. get like the, the grandpa, you know, the, the dad, the son, um, the neighbors, um, everyone's family is, and everyone's mental health and everyone's, you know, way of life and way of being is disrupted, um, yeah. by what happened in 1948 and the way that the film gets into, you know, um, like showing actual scenes and moments mm-hmm. from that time in ways that are creative and comic and funny and mm-hmm. strange um, is just not like not like nothing I'd seen before. Welcome back to Open Forum. I'm Michael Dintel Smith. It starts with the occupation. In 1948, Israeli forces took over Palestinian land and began a process of colonization that continues today. Elias Suleiman and his family live under this occupation and resist in a number of different ways, militantly and sometimes joyfully. But even with their resistance, the strain of the occupation takes its toll, physically and spiritually, over the course of several generations. This week's film is The Time That Remains, and it was chosen by Rhonda Girard, award-winning author of the story collection Him, Me, Muhammad Ali, and the memoir Love is an Ex-Country. Anyone whose uh, politics have been formed in this era and is not a complete monster is familiar with the occupation of Palestine by Israeli uh, government and, and military forces and finds it abominable, right? Like, hopefully. Um, but like you say, I had not seen up to this point this sort of artistic depiction of it, right? Where like, I I read essays, you know, read, uh, you know, academic texts around the issue. Um, But here is a Palestinian filmmaker storyteller, not just sort of examining, like doing exactly what you said and sort of examining the lives and the uh the ways the ways and fix the occupation has affected generation after generation 
and not just depicting the atrocity, but really truly telling stories about what it means to forge a life under such conditions, right? And doing it with all of the heart and humor that you're speaking of. But it's like, what does it mean to go to school under occupation? What does it mean to cook dinner under occupation? What does it mean to try to go to the club under occupation, right? Like, those are sort of textures and nuances that, like, it's, it feels even for the most politically conscious among us, easy to forget that people are still attempting to live lives. Yeah, and they're attempting to live lives with a kind of resistance and joy mm. and right righteous anger and um, generosity towards each other. You know, mm. like the scenes with the neighbor, you know, that's, that kind of answers the question of like, what does it mean to get drunk under occupation, mm-hmm. you know, and how, how, you know, how this neighbor couldn't even just like enjoy himself. He was constantly trying to come up with solutions <laughs> to being colonized, you know, yeah. and like every single time the solution for him is to set himself on fire or at least to try mm-hmm. to and have his neighbor save him. You yeah. know, I mean, there's so much poetry in the in the film too. Like, you know, if I've I've often thought about what it would be like to watch this as an occupier, mm. um, and to kind of how how do you step away from watching a film like this and not feel like this is so wrong? You know. Um, and as someone who is now a neighbor, how do you, you know, how can you divest? How can you resist this as an occupier or as someone who is forced at the age of 18 to register to be in the Israeli offensive forces? Like, mm-hmm. um, but mostly, yeah, I, I, I just, I really, really love um, my favorite, one of my favorite scenes in the film is watching the soldiers in 1948 um, robbing people's homes, people who had fled, Mm -hmm. and playing a record. Um, And interestingly enough, Ilya Suleiman chooses that the record that they play be by this musician Esmahan, who was a Syrian Jew and who had been living, you know, in her homelands and in Egypt, like, uninterrupted until then um and the ways that like this this bigger israeli project also uprooted you know brown jews and jews who were living mm-hmm. in north africa and in western asia who were just living trying to live their lives and then because of israel like had to leave um or were you know dealt with anti-semitism there mm-hmm. um the kind of anti-semitism that was so rampant in europe so what Europe brought to Palestine and to the region is this like complete uprootedness and, and sadness Um, and watching the character, watch the soldiers play that record. Mm -hmm. It's just really heartbreaking because there's so much there. There's so much to grieve, you know? Mm. Yeah. And there are several, there's several moments 
of, uh, you know, we're witnessing, uh, you know, Israeli soldiers enforcing the laws of occupation. Yeah. And uh, even they sort of succumb to the moments where, where it's like they're, they're stopping uh, Fuad, uh, you know, Elia's father uh, and his friend fishing every night. They're, they're they're out there and they're like, "Hey, you got your ID cards? Any fish?" And then they're they're just and then one scene they just they're just watching, they're just watching them just out sort of enjoying themselves or attempting to enjoy themselves while doing some fishing, and then the the scene later, uh, sort of in uh, present day, at the time where they're trying to enforce the curfew on the club scene. And he keeps saying the, the, the thing over and over again, citizens of Ramallah, curfew, curfew. And then eventually he's nodding his head along to the music while he's also trying to enforce his curfew. And it's yeah. to say that like, there's no doubt that the occupying forces understand and relate to the basic humanity and desires of those they are occupying it's just the commitment to the occupation and the power they're in that keeps them going yeah it's it's like it's a commitment but also i think in the film's like use of repetition Mm. it shows the ways that like being an occupier is dehumanizing Mm. you know you become kind of like a robot you become a repetitive recording pretty Mm -hmm. much there's no humanity left you're just doing everything because the cruelty is the point like you don't you know it doesn't matter if it makes any sense you're just you know performing um a a a duty um and yeah just it's the way that that is shown i think is just so brilliant um Mm -hmm. the the tank that follows that (laughs) dude around when he's like just on the phone crossing he's just pacing on the phone with his friend and like the tanks uh like what is that the tank's barrel or whatever is like aiming at him and just moving left and right as he Mm -hmm. paces up you know across this like tiny street um you know, just completely useless. Like, why? Why do we need such a massive, um, like, piece of war equipment, mm-hmm. right, to surveil a people that has nothing? Yeah. That has really nothing except, like, rocks, right? right. Like, except, like, the actual earth to fight back with. Mm-hmm. So the absurdity of that, I think, is really amazing. And, you know, just the connections that can be made, you know, between military police everywhere mm-hmm. and the ways that they're just so absurdly um armed yeah you know like in a way that's so obscenely like overly unnecessary um but but necessary to the project that they're that they're defending and yeah that they're involved in yeah yeah, I remember being out in Ferguson and like it's the it's the wildest scene to, to that they have tanks and M16s and like literally yeah. the the weapons of warfare 
and these were people that just had nothing to fight back, like nothing to yeah. fight back with except their own bodies. So it's just like, what is what is what is that response supposed to be about other than this excessive show of force to for the sake of showing that you have the capacity for it and that like you will use it uh for the maintenance of empire for the maintenance of colony for the maintenance of this occupation like you you're showing that there's n there's no limit on the level of violence that you will employ yeah yeah and that's kind of the point like mm -hmm. the point is to get to get everyone else sort of to submit just submit don't even resist to begin with right you know um yeah i remember too like uh, summer of 2020 in LA during the uprisings, there were mm -hmm. like a lot of tanks mm -hmm. in the streets of downtown LA. Um, and you know, just people in military and my sister and I, my sister has definitely lived and spent more time in Palestine, mm -hmm. but my sister and I would, would be going down for protests and actions. And like, we would, we would both get so triggered by seeing these, but then we were like, wait a minute, mm -hmm. like, what <laughs> what are they doing they kind of look ridiculous like let's yeah. like make fun of them you know yeah. um yeah so just sort of like and yeah nobody had anything nobody had any you know weapons we just had like megaphones and we're just like walking around like you said like with our bodies and i love that the film does the film shows the ways that the body resists like mm -hmm. even with you know, the, the mother, like how the mother, even though she's diabetic and shouldn't be eating mm -hmm. candy or ice cream at night, right? She has her in-home nurse kind of telling her, like, you're not supposed to be, <laughs> your blood sugar is bad. Don't do this. And mm -hmm. she's like, no, I'm going to, I don't care. Like, I, I'm going to resist this. I'm going to, even though my entire body is resisting insulin, like, I am going to resist that part yeah. of my body's resistance and this occupation by enjoying something sweet when I want to, because my life is not, has not, doesn't have sweetness. Yeah. And, you know, um, just the way that the maternal figure in that film, you know, ends up that way, I thought was really heartbreaking, but also like very fitting, you know? Yeah. Nafsu Sharif Wurud al Manaya Muna. وما العيش لا عشت إن لم أكن مخوف الجناب حرام الحما إذا قلت أصغى لي العالمون ودوى مقالي بين الورى سأحمل روحي على راحتي وألقي بها في مهاو الردى فإما حياة تسر الصديق وإما ممات يغيظ العدى It's it's uh it's such an interesting point and it uh also calls to mind something that I felt like was kind of subtle but like maybe maybe not exactly if you're if you're already attuned to it in that uh there's a scene where uh the police come into the Suleiman home uh this is I believe uh 1970 uh, and they're arresting Fouad, uh, saying that he's smuggling weapons from Lebanon or smuggling weapons to Le Lebanon. I, 
and they go and what they find, they say they found gunpowder and it's bulgur. And, (laughs) and the mom is like, no, I use this for cooking for like tabbouleh for all of these dishes. And my mind immediately registers that she's saying all of these dishes that like in our quote unquote Western world, we know as Israeli foods right, or, right. or like more generically as Mediterranean, but like specifically we, we typically called them Israeli foods and that it's this very, it feels very subtly like, no, remember that like the, the extent to which this occupation and robbery of culture has gone is that they have renamed our foods. Yeah. Yeah. They've appropriated and renamed or re, 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 they basically created this fantasy mm-hmm. about there being something such as Israeli food when that doesn't make sense. How can food be from 1948 onwards? Like, <laughs> you know, that's just not true, right? And so many of the foods that exist are, you know, connected to like actual places. So, mm-hmm. you know, a Libyan Jewish woman might make tabbouleh a certain way, but mm-hmm. that's that's a Libyan tabbouleh. That's right. not an Israeli tabbouleh. Um, so the, cre- you know, um, yeah, the way that that bulgur is uh, seen as dangerous too mm-hmm. in its original form, it's a danger. When really what, ends, what, what has ended up happening is Israel has weaponized um, weaponized our own food to try to like use it to create their culture. Mm -hmm. Um, There's an Israeli restaurant near my house Mm -hmm. and uh, every like once a month I leave a review being like, I went there and the food was invisible because there's no (laughs) such thing as Israeli food. And then they just like, they just like delete my comment, you know? Um, (laughs) But yeah, it's really, really, it's just like awful to see that. And it, 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 it's, it's awful to also, you know, when I was raising my kid when he was, before he became an adult, I, I would get so angry when I would see Israeli couscous, like something labeled Israeli couscous, because that's not, that's not what that's called. That's mm-hmm. like an actual made by hand couscous um, that has a different name. And so, you know, I'm thinking of my child as like, the child in this film, right? And like seeing adults in your life be frustrated by things that just seem really absurd, mm-hmm. but have these like really long histories. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it sort of brings me back to, uh, you'd already brought it up, but I, I think there's the, the tragicomic aspect of this film. And that like, if you, I, I think if you are, a subjugated people, you recognize the comedy that that is within this and that like thinking about the neighbor and like the first time he appears, like I've, it was like, this is funny. And that like, he really, he doesn't really want to kill himself, but he kind of want to kill himself. But like the way that he goes about it is a, is a way that like his neighbor can easily stop him from doing it. <laughs> like in that, but it, but he says something so profound that like gets to the tragic part of it. He's like, live or die it's all the same and there's that like there's the the pulling out of that like 
deep sense of despair and like nihilist thought that but that like is played for comedic effect when we repeat this over and over again that like Fuad has got to come out and like save the man from like save the man from like lighting himself on fire after dousing himself in kerosene um but it's it's like the like you you were pointing out that repetition of that is just like that is a persistent feeling and it's like how do you deal with that and so like going back to the the scene where uh you know you're talking about with the tank and it's the man is just talking on his cell phone and in the barrel is is like walking back and forth with him he's sort of adjusted to it right like he's just not even sort of he has adjusted to it and then goes to that club later and like finds the resistance in joy right like he can't do anything about the tank that's sitting there he can't do anything about that but he can find among community this sense of joy. And I think that there's always that pulling out of these deep injustices and in the face of uh, violence, it's means for oppressed people to find joy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and I, I feel like the humor in the film is, is also like uniquely Palestinian, but it's also, as you say, it's like the sense of humor. It's like a gallows humor, mm-hmm. you know, where like you have to be so close. It's like laughing to keep from crying, but it's laughing to keep from dying. Yes. You know, like it's this kind of like resistance through laughter, through joy. Um, yeah, I love, uh, I love like the the very last scene too, where it's just a bunch of really sick people in a hospital, mm-hmm. also like just walking around with all the things they need to stay alive. Um, but like chatting with each other, it's almost like there's a club, you know, vibe or mm-hmm. something to that uh that gathering at the hospital, and then that remix of "Staying Alive" comes on. Mm-hmm. Um, just to sort of like bring it home and be like, this is, you know, at the end of the day, like there's not, there's Palestinians still exist. Mm -hmm. And that, that is what continues to be the problem. Like that, the fact that we exist is the problem. Mm -hmm. Right. And like that we're not, no matter what happens, we don't go away Mm -hmm. and we don't submit. So um, that is like the ultimate the the ultimate act of resistance is just our existence. Rhonda, what's one lasting image that sticks to you from uh, the time that remains? Um, I think it has to be that moment with the soldiers playing that record, mm-hmm. you know, um, Fuad, the dad running away from the other soldiers and then hearing music and like peering down this alleyway and seeing these occupy occupying forces, stealing people's books, you know, their, their music, mm-hmm. um, their record players that they'd left behind thinking that they were going to just 
leave for a couple of days and come back. And then mm-hmm. those people ended up in refugee camps and are still there. Right. Yeah. Um, and how it's so tragic that as they're just beginning that journey, there's this image of these soldiers playing this record um, and being completely like clueless as to mm-hmm. the pain and the suffering that's about to unfold mm-hmm. for almost 80 years. So just the way that that particular scene is framed and captured, I think is, is just so brilliant and sad and like expansive mm-hmm. in its understanding of, you know, um, what happens when that kind of theft happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rhonda, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, it was really fun. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Open Forum, a podcast from Lit Hub Radio, produced by Eliza Smith and Justin Alvarez, and hosted by me, Michael Denzel Smith. Feel free to like, comment, subscribe to Open Forum wherever you get your podcasts, and or sign up for a Lit Hub newsletter to stay up to date on our latest episodes. If you're enjoying what you hear, share Open Forum with a friend or on social media. Next week, two desperately out-of-work actors spend a drunken weekend in the English countryside. <laughs>